Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of solo scriptura and toto scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of the Noseminster family of guitar effects. You can check us out and buy your guitar gear at westminstereffects.com. Make sure you join the discussion on the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. Uh, I'm joined in person as usual by... This is Bradley Cox, Mr. Pastor, Pastor MVP of the Preaching League, <laughs> all via the All Seven Days podcast with Mr. Stanfields and Trevor, can't remember his last name. Oh my goodness. He came up with all this stuff. Yeah, oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm here. I'm from Greer, a pastor Resurrection Church. <laughs> and via the internet, bye. Hey everybody, John Ross here, Westminster Effects artist, Augsburgian Christian, and... Uh, uh, tired church nerd from Lincoln, Nebraska. There we go. There we yep. go. Uh, I could also add officially oh big green egg owner. Yes. Hey, there it is. Yes. Oh, man. I'm I've, loving uh, life right now. I was about to I say. Am, I am meat poor and 15 pounds heavier <laughs> since buying it about two weeks ago. I, uh, I too, have added to my outdoor cooking arsenal. I got a uh, early birthday present from my in-laws ended up with a uh like a big 800 square inch uh outdoor griddle um awesome like, oh wow like the really high-end blue rhino razor one it, yeah it's incredible um, 800 square inch yeah it's big dude and the the cover is attached so it goes out and then you have these two like um, 18 inch by 18 inch work surfaces on either side i mean it's it's fantastic and the Goodness. whole thing collapses up put it in the truck even take it camping if you want um so you don't have to worry about a camp stove in the morning i mean it's um yeah i've done uh i i've, I've ran a flat top griddle in a, in a previous life in a commercial kitchen so uh it was it was cool to you know do the shing ding you know with the whatnot so yeah i've done i've tried my hand at some teppanyaki stuff and i did some great tacos the other night and uh yeah yeah i'm i'm gonna have that. to fly out to lincoln nebraska <laughs> actually you know i i'm about probably 75 percent done with the new gazebo in the backyard so uh and come over and uh we don't have a place to sit yet but you can sit on the deck you know yeah, un- yeah. underneath the, i need to come out there and see all your trucks and <laughs> your uh your new griddle yeah that's awesome man my trucks my guns my guitars my barbecue <laughs> hey <laughs> That, sound, that sounds like yeah you'd you'd fit in well around here. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Tur- turns out Nebraska is just the deep south extended. Yeah, just without the accent. That's all it is. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Your own your own native tongue, if you will. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, let's jump right into our uh, main topic. We have some some really good Inquisition questions that might be a little longer on the discussion. Uh, But as is tradition, uh, Brian Morris submitted a question in our Inquisition uh, post on the uh, podcast group uh, on Facebook. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. I'm just, I got a haircut like two hours ago, and that's literally the most thankful I've ever been to get a haircut. (laughs) because <laughs> i was working hard on a corona mullet anyway nice. uh, <laughs> you know I, I think i need a sound effect for whenever we say brian morris's name like like every now we and then for like totally Piper, i do the the ding 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 thing I, i've slapped i've slapped yeah. on that but i need something for brian brian or just like some on facebook and tell me some what you uh, want your sound effect to be 
like a nice spectrum reverb or something like that yeah just yeah, yeah. just like a little ding but with like aura and ambience yes <laughs> um so he asks what does a successful succession of pastoral leaders look like and for context he says he's an associate pastor and the senior pastor at his church is looking to retire soon and he will become the senior pastor as of their current plans um so basically this is a long-term planned transition this isn't you know there isn't bad blood going on there's Mm -hmm. you know there's no hey i'm putting in my two weeks and and screw you and screw you and screw you too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's this, this all seems uh, very good hearted, very loving, that kind of thing. And yeah. So long-term transition. How do we do that? Mm. Not all at once. <clears throat> well, we, we ah. did something like that here at res. Yep. Um, and I, I think it was pretty successful. I mean, um, I came on staff here in January of 2005 um, as an associate pastor. I was a senior in high school, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the plan was that in about a year's time, um, the current senior pastor would turn the church over to me and he would remain on staff as a pastor emeritus um and 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 serve in certain capacities that was that was the plan and the the eight you know the year 18 month period um that wasn't made known to the church right up front um all the all the congregation knew at the beginning was that i was coming on as an associate pastor right about it took about 18 months for us to make the transition but about i don't know halfway to two-thirds into it we told the church and i'm not i'm not suggesting that's the best way to do it that's just what yeah. we did we told the church that pastor Barr was going to s- step down as senior pastor but remain on staff and um and so he did and and he turned the church over to me and i think i think these kinds of successions however they flesh out in detail are really really good and healthy for the church it's sad mm-hmm. to me that it doesn't happen more uh, where there's a, a senior older pastor who's retiring and then has is raising someone up from within not just somebody that the church knows and is familiar with because i think that that's helpful when there's a transition of leadership like that is that somebody that per, the church had a chance to get to know me um i i was gradually preaching more and more and more mm-hmm. as that 18 month period went on um i think i started out maybe preaching once every six to eight weeks, and then gradually it became once a month, and then it, and then towards the end it became every other week, and then we continued to alternate in the pulpit for a period of months, even though I was technically the senior pastor, because it it gave the people a, a little bit of chance to transition and adjust, and then I think of maybe a month or so or two months after we transitioned, I preached almost every week for a while, and there was a yeah. It was a gradual turnover there, and um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how it happened here at Res, and and I think what made it work was the the senior pastor's humility and willingness to. I mean, he had he had no, and and this doesn't always happen, but he just had no guile at all. He had no interest in trying to, you know, 
Uh, no kind I, of power grab. Right. There was no like power that. grabbing. There was no, he wasn't insecure as I began to take over and change yeah. some things. Or like, just started, you know, you might be in charge now, but this is my church, you know. Exactly. Yeah, he didn't yeah. have any of that. Yeah. And so sometimes that doesn't work if you don't. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I've I've also encountered transitions like this where the guy who steps down actually leaves for a period of time, like takes an extended sabbatical before he comes back. So that's what's and going on right now at, at Christ, actually. Um, okay. So I'm uh, going to pop this in here because, it, it, honestly, the, the succession plan, so to speak, is is very similar uh, to uh, to what, what you experienced and what you described. So uh, I, I suppose senior pastor, geez, no pop filter, mercy sakes. I, you know, I suppose our, uh, our senior pastor, it, it, we call it a director of ministries here, but in reality it's a senior pastor. Uh, his name's Pastor Schnocki. His primary role, um, other than director of ministries, which is you know, that senior pastor administrative level uh, thing, uh, is also uh, presiding over the uh, sanctuary worship service, which is the organ, choir, uh, sort of uh, hymnal, uh, yep. uh, centric uh, piece. And uh, so what, what's interesting here is that he's been here for 20, more than 25 years. And you know, so when people think of the leadership structure of Christ, when people think of, oh, who's in charge? Oh, it's, it's Luke. Uh, that would be Pastor Schnocki. And uh, I think it was last, last year, maybe two years ago, he announced his intention to retire uh, this year. And, you know, there, there were many discussions on, okay, so are you retiring from director of ministries? Are you retiring from leading sanctuary worship? Are you retiring from both? You know, what, what is that going to look like? And what, what is eventually settled on is that he will officially retire from both positions uh, coming up here in, in June or, or July, I believe, and then will uh, go on, uh, you know, a six to eight month retirement. Um, and then at that time, the church will issue him a call, or already has issued him a call, uh, as pastor emeritus uh, to serve in our sanctuary worship space as the presiding pastor. Um, and then the administrative roles and everything else that would have been normally in his wheelhouse uh, then uh, would fall uh, on the hands of, of whoever then is called for that. So, so in uh, in many church bodies, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, not uh, uh, not exempt from this, uh, there's this notion of uh, of issuing call documents uh, to a pastor and making it be a formal process uh, that needs to go through. In some cases, a, a formal uh, a formal search process. Uh, the process for Pastor Emeritus is, is not as uh, stringent, uh, so we are able to just offer it to him because he's currently uh, in that position. Uh, and so that's, you know, that, that's been the succession plan uh, for that. Uh, what we found most helpful is the constant communication, uh, especially because you know, even for people who go to our 211 uh, services, they, for the most part, unless they're new, they still would regard Luke as the, quote, senior pastor and would assume that he would continue to do everything that he's been doing. 
uh, in, in the administrative leadership space. And so the constant communication from our director of operations, from our lay leadership board, because we use policy-based governance, and our other pa- and the rest of our pastorate uh, really has helped make that transition uh, now <coughs> expectable. And it gives uh, Luke and his wife time away uh, so that any residual assumptions or or whatnot of his administrative role would be able to taper down during that those those months off and when he comes back it'll be very clear that his role is to preside over that ser- uh, that group of services uh, in the sanctuary worship services that are and uh, and go from there um, we're, we're blessed by some other uh, retired pastors in the congregation who are stepping up during that time uh, that he's away and uh, uh, it, it, it was kind of an interesting road that this took, but it, you know, it really went, uh, and is going, I should say, it's going rather well. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, he, he was the face of, uh, of our church body for a very, very long time. And, and I think, you know, that's probably a good, a good case for that sabbatical piece, even if he doesn't intend on going anywhere, uh, which in this yeah. case he, he doesn't, yeah. it, it, it is that sort of reset. It's right. Okay, I'm taking some time off. I'm coming back in a new role, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. So uh, that's that's what we've been experiencing here, and it sounds very very similar in some ways to what you've seen. And and I think both are successful succession plans. Um, I mean, there's there's obviously uh, probably many examples of poor ones, uh, unfortunately. Um, and, uh, and I think communication up front and ongoing is, is probably one of the best ways to mitigate any risk of a, uh, of a bad, uh, uh, of a bad experience. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the big things is, uh, as you said, communication, but doing it in a way that, uh, prevents you could i guess you could call it congregational whiplash <laughs> of holy crap what did they just say uh, i think of uh, our other pastor here keith who is uh, about to leave and plant a church about 30 minutes away mm-hmm. and, but when when he told the board and when he told our small group literally the response was yeah we're not surprised <laughs> like, we've right. seen this coming yep. and then and then and then when when the announcement was made to the church they got applause yeah which was actually a really cool experience sure um it, it wasn't you know there was no one like running out of the back and in, in tears or any, anything sure. like that sure. it, it was more of a celebration and and we even saw that when uh pastor bar fully retired is, yep. is we had a legitimate celebration um honoring him and his wife for their service to the church for so many years. I yeah, th- I think yeah. the that that's a really important thing to do too. It provides closure, you know, especially if they're if if they're departing after their t- years of service and going elsewhere. That sort of celebration gives closure to the congregation as well. Sorry to interrupt you, Bradley, but I wanted no, to that's okay. Take that on. I, I, th- I think Cody, you hit on the key word honor, honoring. Yeah. Like it, if I was going to give one piece of advice to anybody from own experience with transition, it's do whatever you can to promote a culture of honor. Yeah. Um, when you when you honor like the power grabs, insecurities, um, pride, 
you know, all the, all the things that, you know, were division that we're scared of in uh, transitions like this, that those are all emotional things yep. um, that, you know, can, can, can manifest themselves for a variety of reasons. Um, but, you know, I've navigated um, several transitions here at Res. I mean, the transition between where I took over as senior pastor, um, Keith and Carrie are not the first uh, associate pastors that have launched out from Res to plant another church. Yep. Um, um, I had a pastor with, he's been on the podcast, Seth Kane. Yeah, he was one of the first episodes. One of the first episodes um, was here pastoring at Res with me for seven or eight years before we helped he and his wife, Ashley, go plant Village Anglican in west side of Greenville. So, um, and then, of course, Keith and Carrie's transition coming up, but in Pastor Barr's full retirement, which happened about uh, 18 months ago. So there's there's been a lot of transition here, and every time we have just kind of gone overboard if you i mean i don't don't want because that sounds negative but we've just really (laughs) we've really made it a priority to honor in every direction so when pastor Barr turned the church over to me he and i both just committed um i don't know that we had like a specific strategic conversation about this but i honored him every chance i could yeah i acknowledged his 25 years of service at res i i promoted him i we you know we made jokes about him you know you and you were even here we were still doing this we call him the goat right yeah every anytime he would get up to preach like he would preach the man the myth the legend that's right the four or five times a year max he would preach while he was still on staff but we would always be like yeah the man the myth the legend ernest Barr, <laughs> you know the, and, the preacher and he would return the favor by roasting you mercilessly i know he pulpit. did but it was <laughs> it, you know i'm telling you he would make jokes about me i would i would make jokes about him oh, we yeah. call him the goat you know and I, i'm telling you that kind of stuff helps people and it helps you. Yep. It helps it helps it not be about um, positions and titles, but about friendship and relationship. Right. And I would tell Brian, you know, as you got, I don't know how long the transition is going to be, or uh, what the specific, you know, parameters. Like if the guy's going to go on sabbatical, and you're going to have time, or if if you know you're going to start preaching more and more on Sunday as you get closer to the transition day. However, that stuff gets worked out fine. But I would say, Brian, honor, honor the man that you're going to succeed. And hopefully he is on board with also honoring and promoting you because that's what Pastor Barr did for me. Yeah. Is he promoted me. He celebrated me. There were some changes I made that I know for sure. He thought were stupid, <laughs> but he still yeah. he still championed yeah. them. Uh, he still celebrated them. He still supported them, um, and honored me and my leadership. And I think that's what uh, helped us. We didn't even have we didn't even sniff a split, right? With that transition from a man that had been here twenty five years, and that I think that's a pretty that's a win. That's a huge mm-hmm. win. But I yeah. think I would attribute a lot of it to just a, a culture of honor, um, honor one another. I mean, celebrate one another. Um, you know, I think that I think there's something really healthy, spiritual and biblical about it. 
I mean, and it shows the congregation that, shoot, hey, this, uh, quote, new guy, uh, I mean, perhaps not actually new, I mean, in, in the sense of being there as a uh, associate or assistant pastor, but uh, the the new leader, so to speak, uh, respects the old one just as much as I do, and this is you know that's mm-hmm. awesome to see to give to give someone that that feeling, mm-hmm. uh, especially if they've spent twenty five years trusting uh, this individual, um, you know, with mm-hmm. uh, with private confession and counseling needs and things like that, and knowing that they're going to have to move to somebody else potentially uh to take those burdens to uh for Mm -hmm. for pastoral care uh you know that's uh that's a big emotional uh stressor for Mm -hmm. uh you know for some congregants and uh and seeing that uh the new guy values likes respects honors the old guy just as they did uh can make that a more comfortable transition as well um you know one thing that popped up um, Brian, just for, uh, for your benefit, what I may do is I may dig up some of the videos that, uh, uh, that the church produced, uh, as part of the communications, uh, campaign as it were, uh, to lead up to this, uh, uh, lead up to this transition with Pastor Schnocky. And I might either throw them, uh, at the end of the episode or post them in the Facebook group or something for, uh, for you to see, depending on how long they are. Uh, so keep an eye out for those. And if you don't see them, remind me. Oh, good, good stuff. I, I am a fan of throwing out resources to people. Mm. Um, one, one more last point is with within that culture of honor that will bleed over into like that that transition with Pastor Barr happened eight years before I showed up at Res, mm-hmm. and that was still perpetuating itself. Yeah, you know, and and Pastor Barr was still really active in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, even even to the point where I got roasted a few times. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> my, right. My, my favorite, my favorite roast that he ever did of me was, you know, he came up, shook my hand on a Sunday morning, said, "Cody, you're looking good today." What happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's it, when you when you set when you take those kinds of steps, um, you're you're setting yourself up for literally decades more. Yeah. of successful ministry, right? Yeah. I've just never I've never seen honor produce negative things. Yeah. Like I I'm not talking about disingenuous uh flattery. I'm talking about recognizing, you know, a person's impact, influence and contribution and validating it even as you are now stepping into the onto the platform from which all those things happened for that person. Yeah. Uh, is that you're, you're celebrating that the whole way because you know, it's, you, you can go plant another church and immediately shape the culture the way that you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in order to have a successful transition, there has to be, um, there has to be a passing of the baton as it were. There, there's a saying about church history and doctrinal development that we stand on the shoulders of giants. Exactly. The same thing is true within your local church context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Inquisition time? Let's do it. Go. Cool.
All right, and this is the Inquisition. This is our section every week where we take your questions, yes, you, the listener, uh, via a post in the Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. Lutheran John, this one is directed to you. Oh, boy. Dustin Beeman wants to know what your favorite sport to play and to watch is, since you routinely make fun of Bradley and me being pretty big sports fans. Okay, so don't say hockey. If you say hockey, I'm gonna especially as a guy in Nebraska. That's no, right. Come on. No, no, it's. I mean, I enjoy hockey. I'm not gonna say it's like my favorite thing ever, but yeah, that's all right. Jeez, um, I mean, so WWE a, doesn't count. No, you're right. <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm going to do this as classical sports, which means I'm going to remove motor sports. You know, those are out. Um, I'm going to remove, uh, I mean, I don't know. I really like to watch bowling, like, like the PBA, the professional bowlers association. Like I really, really like to watch that. Um, and, uh, but not in person cause you know, um, but, uh, in person, I love a baseball game. I, you know, mm-hmm. I just can't, uh, yeah. I just can't devote the the mental cycles to you know remembering stats and and pronouncing Hispanic last names and things like that. <laughs> oh uh, no, I, you're in trouble now. <laughs> you're in trouble. I now. mean, not not all of us are on the same level of saint, sanctification, so yeah. you, you got time. <laughs> um, oh, but uh, yeah, so on on TV probably bowling and then in person. Uh, Good old, good old baseball game uh, any day. Uh, I don't. I mean, probably a farm team, uh, something mm-hmm. like that. Minor, minor league. There, there is minor something league, yeah. like, obviously, like, I love big league games, but there sure. is something special about minor league baseball. Local ballpark. Yeah, the whole vibe. Yeah, I love just, it. Yeah, yeah it's just yeah. Uh, you know, like I, I've been to a couple uh, major league games. Uh, three, I think. Uh, uh, Cubs, Astros, and Texas Rangers, and. Uh, and that was fun, you know. They, they were they were big. There was hype, right? The uh, yeah. the the Cubs event, you know. There was definitely that uh, that sense of tradition there. Um, but with uh, uh, with minor league ball, you know, like uh, the stadium I grew up in, Riverview Stadium or Riverview Park, uh, back where before they were the Clinton Lumber Kings, they were the Clinton Giants, and uh, mm-hmm. there was this guy dancing Darren. Uh, uh, he had, he had, uh, some sort of, uh, um, uh, some sort of mental challenges, but not in a, like, uh, not in a, like, oh, he's dancing because he's having a crisis or something. It's just, right. that's what he did and had absolutely no inhibitions about it. And he always wore this tan suit. Like, so this was nineties, right? So he had like a black, like V neck on like a tan suit, tan slacks, and he would just, every time the organ would play, he'd just dance around, and everybody knew him. You know, when, uh, like, there's just that sense of community at at your local ball game. Uh, That's that's fantastic. Um, There's a certain amount uh, of access that you can get at minor league parks, too. exactly. Where... um, Often, if if wifey and I are on a trip, if there is a minor league ballpark roughly on the way, I'll see if I can stop and get a hat. And we've mm-hmm. stopped several times 
where it's like three, four hours before a ball game and they're just setting up. So it's just, you know, you try and get someone's attention to see if they'll let yeah. you in. Yep. And there've been a couple of times where they've taken us like through the front office stuff, mm -hmm. you know, uh, at the old Augusta stadium is like a hundred year old stadium. And they took us to their quote unquote office, which was really just a mill house down the left field line. Sure. <laughs> and, you know, he's got the South Atlantic league championship trophy up there on a shelf and you know, all that kind of stuff. And, yep. and then you end up talking with somebody, you know, working the working in the shops, like, Oh, so you're a Braves fan. Cause I have a Braves tattoo. It's like, I grew up with Mike minor and stuff like that. And you just end up hearing stories and seeing yeah. stuff that, you normally wouldn't be able to see in a big oh, league yeah. park. Like a uh, member of our, my childhood congregation, uh, Don Rohde was the, was the beer. Like there was one place you could get beer and it yeah. was this like, it was just this hole in the wall, like right down one of the, one of the ramps from, from the bleachers. And uh, you'd stop at Don and you'd get your beer. And, I'd, and, and uh, uh, growing up, we, we'd always stop, not to get beer, but just to say hi. And, and sometimes if it was the right time of the game, He'd uh, he'd hand you a signed uh, uh, lumber kings or, or giants uh, ball. You don't uh, you don't have to lie. You're Lutheran. You were definitely getting a beer. <laughs> uh, my uh, my dad actually can't stand this stuff. In fact, the only what? alcohol I've ever seen him drink, um, he's drank uh, wine, champagne, and wine coolers. Wine well, coolers. <sighs> You're good. I, I'm just, just I'm just, just this piddly podcast. All right. Uh, yeah. Hey, hey, real, real quick. We'll take yeah. a minute. Uh, Paul Cassidy, uh, Cody Fields, Cody has gone. Huh? Westminster effects and nose pedal. Bradley Cox, MVP of the National Teaching <laughs> League, oddly enough. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> of what? Because of what? Uh, the, the virus, virus, yeah. Sir, they're going to have to do some goofy seating for the playoffs, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he uh, he preaches at Resurrection in Greer, South Carolina. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I've heard a lot of your episodes and all good yeah. things, guys. So yeah, good, good to, good meet, to you. meet you. I'll, I'll be out there in a few minutes. Oh, you're good. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we never actually got beer at the beer tent or the beer <laughs> Beer uh, cubby. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was always cool doing that. So as far as to play – uh, you know, I've never really played organized uh, sports of, of many of many types, but um, a few here and there. Uh, but I, I love just playing catch. It, it doesn't even matter what the ball looks. Oh like. yeah, I love playing catch mm -hmm. with the boys, uh, and that's uh, you know that's my thing. If I were to choose an organized one, uh, I don't know. I'm a product of uh, of the uh, of the '90s, so probably some ultimate frisbee. <laughs> you know, that sounds all right. Ultimate frisbee is fun. It is. It is. Ultimate Frisbee and a, and a cold, ice cold Mountain full, Dew. Full contact. That's, Ultimate Frisbee is like more it. fun. But yeah. anyway, <clears throat> um, even though I'd probably get hurt these days. Um, Jared Hartley <laughs> asks, how would you go about leading worship if your church doesn't have a drummer? And I would add, if you lose a drummer or simply don't have one available that week, what would you, achain, what would you change Arrangement wise, uh, you know my my first go to is err on the side of uh, of adding ambience. Uh, you know, using something like a drone pad or mm -hmm. a keyboardist um, having a, a patch that has piano with with a pad underneath of it or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, 
You know, obviously, you know, there's there's different answers to this question based upon the musical styles that your worship team, uh, you know, identifies with, uh, so to speak. Um, but you know, in, in the sense when we don't have a a drummer or even someone on hand percussion, having that uh, uh, having some motion in the background from like an ambient drum pad or something uh, can definitely uh, fill the sound out a bit more. You know, make some changes where uh, you know your bass player isn't maybe hitting uh, you know quarter notes or, or eighth notes with a pick. Maybe do big fat whole notes with and and do it finger picked mm-hmm. on the bass or, or something like that. You know. Um, and, uh, and it, you know, if you're leading with an acoustic guitar or something, uh, really, uh, really sell that rhythmic lead there. What What's that pa- uh, app that Zeke's got now on his phone? Do you remember what it's I don't called? remember what it's called. So our one of our worship leaders has an app that he downloaded. I don't think it's free. I think it costs. But it provides this drone kind of wah pad mm. sound that you you can literally just touch um on the screen and select the key that you're in transitions really smoothly too. So very smoothly it transitions yeah. between keys and he like we've been obviously recording pre-recording our worship and sure. it's been just acoustic guitar yep. uh most weeks like he's playing and he and my wife are singing and he'll what they'll do is they'll connect his phone to a little Bluetooth speaker and set it somewhere that's not really visible and where the sound's not going to get too big. And but the it, it's picked up in the recording and it just kind of fills things out. And while he leads from the acoustic, um, and and so I agree with you, John. I think yeah, providing some, especially if you're using um, an acoustic guitar. You know, because the acoustic guitar and keyboard tend to be—I don't know—they tend to come more out front when we lose some of the rhythm section. Yeah, like those yep. instruments tend to take over. Um, and yeah, it, it's, and, you know, yeah, go continue. Well, I was just going to say that acoustic guitar—I think it needs something underneath it. It needs some kind of pad wall, whatever. I feel like I can take things with a piano and lead just that. Um, if, yeah, if I lose yeah, a drummer, for sure. I mean, cause you have the two hand things too, yep. you know, you can change octaves and even split the keyboard voicing. Um, yep. Yep. you know, maybe yep. you don't have, uh, you know, the, the drone pads have it, but you have an electric guitarist. Um, you know, have you've them, done that uh, before. Get a, yeah. Yeah, have I them have. get a Spurgeon Hall reverb and a chick delay. <laughs> yep. and, yeah, uh, yeah, we, we've and, done and that before. There's a pedal for that. Go. Yeah, there's yeah. a pedal yeah. for that. <laughs> Man, Bradley um, helping me out with the marketing this this week. Right. <laughs> but Cody's done that. Cody's done that a couple of times. Yeah. where we lose a drummer oh, yeah. or whatever, and he'll just get on there with some. I, I guess it's the chick delay or whatever. Some kind of reverb. I don't know all the names of your pedals. That's I'm sorry. okay. That's okay. But it, I, w- I won't it hold it against you this week. But there will be a test next week. The app that I've used in the past is uh, at least for iPhone is an app called Soundboard, and you can load in your own uh, ambient pads from like worship tutorials or cool. or another source and switch between them. Uh, also, uh, Worship Guitar Essentials um, by I think uh, Abel Mendoza does it uh, under his That Worship Sound brand. Uh, if you if you purchase that, it's a preset. Uh, kind of concert for the the main stage application for Mac, and it has a really great 
uh, ambient pad in a generator hmm. uh, built in. Uh, too. So there's some options for you. Yeah. So what I've done from electric is normally it's put it on, put your pickups in the middle or just on the neck and get it really, really clean, a ton of reverb and make liberal use of volume swells. And there you go. Yes. And there you go. Yep. You want to shave, you want to shave off that initial attack. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Yep. One thing, just one last thing I would say is I feel like sometimes when we lose a drummer rhythm section pieces, um, music tends to get very um, dynamically stale. Like we, we, we tend to just, the acoustic player just plays the whole time. Um, It it just goes on and on. And, 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 and you add a drone and, and constant sound. It, it, it can be hard on the ear. It like it can, it can fatigue. Yeah the listeners and, and worshipers after about the second song. So you want to try to think about dynamics uh, still, even though you don't have a drummer who's, you know, building crescendo and de- de- crescendo. You don't, you don't have those kinds of things helping you. You still want to think about, you know, dynamically, you know, you know, uh, what, what's, I can't think today. My brain is fried. Um, swells and then bring it down. Yep. Um, you still want to have that in the songs, I think. Yep. Yep. yep absolutely. Next question. This this one might get us uh, zucked, if you will. Uh, <laughs> this might get us deplatformed. It deals with the T in LGBT, uh, where Scott Hamilton asks: Should Christians acknowledge preferred pronouns? Uh, is it being hateful to not? Moreover, when should Christians be nuanced in the discussion? Versus being blunt. Uh, so sorry to open that can of worms on the two of you. <laughs> you know, on, on my interesting own, enough, whatever. In 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 my professional uh, career, you know, working working for a, a software company, um, you know that that's something that's encouraged. It's not enforced. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, even our our CEO, who uh, that demographic would call a cis male. Someone who is uh, born a dude, uh, stays a dude, says he's a dude. Um, <laughs> you know, even in the signatures of his emails and his uh, uh, his powerpoints, you know, he puts his pronouns he, him, his. Oh boy! Um, and uh, you know, it's 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 not uh, it's not forced, you know, but it is it is recommended, and and you know, we have to go through training. Um, hmm. to say, you know, how important it is to respect people's preferred pronouns. Um, honestly, um, I just go with they, them, and theirs a lot with mm-hmm. with just anybody. Um, I just walk that neutral line. Um, I mean, obviously, if Bradley came up to me and said, hey, uh, I'm Bradalina now, call me a she, I'm like, hold up there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Hold up, bro. Uh, yeah, hold, hold up there, them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, but, I used to um, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Well, what I was gonna say is, is uh, you know, that's that's just kind of my my default. You know, I, I just go for the the neutral when I'm not sure, uh, because one thing I don't want to do is I don't think it's hateful um to to not use it but i think it's it's disrespectful in the sense that it can break down those 
any potential relationship that you might be able to to be a, a tool uh, to uh, uh, to bring them back into a, a healthier understanding of of gender and identity. But um, that's I mean I don't have any profound thoughts on that. But uh, what I wanted to say is uh, uh, I, I have to get going here, so I'm going to let you guys finish off the episode. Sure. Um, look forward to hearing the rest of your answers on the questions during uh, <laughs> during editing, and uh, I'll uh, I'll catch you guys later. And listeners, I'll see you in the podcast lounge. Uh, from me, thanks for listening. The guys are going to continue on. All right. Well, thanks, John. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. Well, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now that now that John's gone, we can talk junk. junk talk about, about John. Um, but I think so. I. I had a job once where there was a man who believed that he was a woman mm. and had gone so far to get a, as far as I'm aware, a legal name change okay. and had uh, some procedures done. Mm-hmm. Um, so went all in with it. Um, I don't think I was ever really put in a situation where I felt like I had to use a third person pronoun. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly because that was a tiny office <laughs> mm-hmm. and he was across the room and I could just be like, Hey, what do you think about this? Right. You right, know? right. Um, so uh, at least how it, how I handled things, I wasn't forced into a whole lot, but I did use the name that he had picked out, mm-hmm. uh, because that would have just exploded if I had tried to use the former. I will say, I think there's a huge difference in, dealing with someone who is being hostile and someone who who is going through some questions mm-hmm. you know uh or where i actually have had some friends who have struggled with this and one of them was super hostile about it and i got a little more blunt with him mm-hmm. and then the other one was you know i've, I've been having these thoughts and it's like well let's all right, let's sit down. Let's talk about it. You know, I mm-hmm. like, I think there is a huge difference in, in those approaches and mm-hmm. you basically have to use discernment, right? I think so. I mean, I, I haven't, I don't have a lot of experience with this, um, candidly, but yeah, you know, I, I, I know that there are people who like, like, like you, that you, you end up working alongside somebody mm-hmm. and you can find, find yourself in some awkward positions. I yeah. mean, you know, I, I think my approach would probably be different with someone I'm in relationship with. Right. As opposed to someone that, you know, like generally speaking, my encounters with transgender, transsexual, um, they're acquaintances or, you know, and, and I'm end up, I end up in conversations with other people about those people. And so, and most of the time, just candidly in those conversations, there's an acknowledgement of the confusion and, um, just uncertainty we feel about how do you refer to these people? Yeah. Like we don't know. Like I, yeah. I had a conversation with a pastor not that long ago who had a transgender person start coming to their church, mm-hmm. um, via their online services, ag- professed Christ, professed faith in Christ. And then, and as I understand it in a pretty candid and humble way, came to the pastor and said, look, I, you know, I love this church. I'm growing. And, and I forget the exact 
phrasing that he used uh, uh he or she here we go yeah. um <laughs> um to describe it but it basically described to this pastor a desire for christ and a desire right. to grow in christ and worship christ and yet also said you know i cannot fathom going back to being a man right like but, I have, but isn't, but isn't that how all sin works? That, that I guess right? it, it is. But the, you know, the this person acknowledged or talks about how living as a man was depressing. It was they were suicidal, uh, all kinds of emotional issues and trauma, and now has quote unquote accepted themselves and as a woman and now and can't imagine going back and 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 is asking to be baptized now Mm. where where do you where do you draw the line of making room for someone to grow in sanctification like right i i i don't have an issue with saying maybe that person is genuinely being drawn to christ and saved or being saved um and just it's going to take some time right for Jesus to do his work and how we as the church handle that is that's a delicate issue and i haven't faced it before you know mm-hmm. um in fact this pastor looked at me and said when he told me the story he's like i don't know what to do yeah you know i'm yeah. not sure what to do here and what he did was though uh invite this person into a conversation a long journey like hey let's let me let me have more conversation with you before I make a decision on whether or not to baptize you. Let me let's you and I get together and talk and pray more and let me understand who you are and what your story is, what God's doing in your life before yeah. we jump to conclusions. And I think you know how I would feel about you know talking to or with or about somebody that I'm not in relationship with i might you know if, if some somebody comes up to me and asks me would you prefer to be called brad or bradley mm-hmm. i say bradley because that's just what most people call me yeah um so if somebody comes up to me and they it's obvious they're male but they're portraying themselves in female and they tell me they want to be called sarah and i don't know them i'll call them sarah right um that's fine and um but I, I think I can because I think I can do that without affirming their sin. I don't yeah. think that's an affirmation of the sin going on in their life or the brokenness that's manifesting itself. Right, and, and ultimately, a lot of this. Uh, <laughs> Bradley's trying to break Sorry. the uh, trying to break the boom stand. Sorry. He'll, he'll play with the springs on the boom stand. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just shot across. I'm the so room. ADD. I have to have something going on with no, my hands. I, I do the same thing. I do the same thing all the time. But I think. Uh, it, you you use this uh, line a lot in your sermons of salvation is not us inviting God into our story. That's it's right. God inviting us into his. Yep. And that gets right to the very core of identity and who you are totally. and who you are in Christ. That stands so much on its head because if, you know, if a transgender person or somebody addicted to pornography or someone Mm. who's been an alcoholic or someone who has an anger issue uh, thinks of their salvation as I've invited God into this story, then what I'm doing is I'm still, I'm still holding on to this former identity 
that um and i'm 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 hoping god's gonna either navigate his way around these things about me or I don't know, but like if you if you realize that it's God inviting us into his story, that changes the game because now I do come to him as I am, but my expectation should be that I'm not going to stay that way. Right. And biblically speaking, that's where we have to disciple people. And, and I think, again, this is, I think, still fairly new, isn't it? And, and, and it in is. terms of how the church is facing this kind of thing and... Um, we're also talking about a very small percentage of the popula- population. Exactly. But if if we can disciple those people to the point that they can accept and acknowledge, all right, God's invited me into his story. God's invited me into the kingdom. I didn't choose Jesus. He's chosen me. Yep. And so that means I've just, I'm just going to lay myself on the table and let him do his work and be willing to submit to spiritual authority and leadership in the process. I think if you're willing to do that, then I think we can take the journey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like it. Um, so one last question, and it's this is something that I've given very little thought to, uh, and, and with today's technology and medicine and all that, we normally don't have to, but this could come up. Uh, Will Risky, I think I'm saying that name, correctly how should churches reach the deaf in their community or empower others to do so that's a really interesting question because like we always see hmm. uh in our like when the governor gives a coronavirus yep. update you always have the the person doing sign, sign language, language yep. I, i'm assuming because since it's not not on a national level the closed captioning is available uh or, or not quite as available as with the big networks, right? I haven't thought I about that, but so. yeah, probably so. I assume so. So then how does that work with churches, particularly if we we get someone in who can't hear at all or hears very, very little? Yeah. Like, do we do we get them their own in-ear monitors <laughs> or what, you know? I think I would. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if, you know... I don't know. Like, like I really see the, the congregation that I pastor as people that have been entrusted to me. And so by God himself, you right. know, Paul says right. to the Ephesian elders, be careful to shepherd the flock that's been entrusted to you. So if, if I'm, if, if I'm shepherding, if I'm a steward of a small portion of Christ's body, then I'm going to make every effort I can to, to disciple them. Um, yeah. You know, and I think, yeah, that would include maybe their own inner monitors. I've been in church services where someone was doing sign language yeah. kind of, you know, to the side near the front. And there's a, a, maybe a small group of people that are hearing impaired that are hearing this or watching <laughs> my brain's so not working. <laughs> they are taking in the message via sign language. Right. And, and so I'm for that. I think that's, I, you know, uh, at one point we were, we had a, I don't know, not a large group, but like it was more than, it was close to 10, uh, Hispanic folks that started coming to res years <laughs> ago Yeah, and, um, eventually got partnered up with a guy who planted a Hispanic church around here, but they were not English speaking. And, um, we were, we were looking into a translation, um, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, in fact, we did have a lady do some translating for us. Um, 
I forget how we did that. I think she might have actually been, uh, I think we only had like one in-ear piece and she took them in a, what used to be a Sunday school room and translated the message via that in Just on piece, the fly. Just on the fly. Oh, wow, that's crazy. Um, so, yeah, we've yeah. done that before. Yeah, my, uh, my brother-in-law married, uh, married basically into a Russian family. And about a year and a half ago when, when they got engaged, you know, they, they acknowledged that before their church. And, and their church is bilingual. And so they'll they'll sing one song in English with mm-hmm. Russian subtitles mm-hmm. underneath, and then they'll do the next song in Russian with en- English subtitles, so you mm-hmm. can still sing along. Mm-hmm. And then for the sermons and any announcements, it's a line in Russian that gets translated into English immediately, mm-hmm. and then another line in Russian gets translated into English immediately. So it's mm-hmm. it's really kind of the same thing, right? It is, and you know when we go to Cancun with back to back ministries, yeah, um, you know. Obviously, Cancun is a big tourist place, right. um, and they they also are in relation. The church we go to when we're there is in relationship with Back to Back, so they know a lot of missionaries are coming. Yep. But they have it's a his, you know they speak Spanish. There's, all the songs are in Spanish. The lyrics on the screen are in Spanish. Uh, the um, announcements and sermon all in Spanish. But they have a ton of you know, mobile in-ear, wireless in-ear pieces. And there's a lady that sits in a booth in the back of the sanctuary that oh, wow, yeah. translates the entire service into English. Mm. And so when we go, we wear these like, in-ear it's pieces. It's like the UN. So other than the, <laughs> other than the music, yeah. all right, we wear these pieces and everything that's spoken from the platform, she translates. And the pastor, um, ha- he always does sermon notes mm-hmm. with fill-in-the-blank stuff. Yeah. And they have English, they have an English version of that available for anybody yeah. that needs it. And so, and that's to, that's just recognizing where they are, that they, they might have uh, English speaking tourists come in and check them out and also missions groups. And so they make that available. And I always appreciate that so much. Yeah. It's a great church that we go to there. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, it's, it's, and you could even talk about, you know, uh, visually impaired people well it's a little easier to cater to them because Mm -hmm. they can hear everything that's going on Mm -hmm. and you kind of assume that they would bring their own large print bible or have their ipad or whatever set up for that right Mm -hmm. so they're i I would think at least easier in at least in that respect yeah you know who asked this question uh will risk risky risk risk you know, Will, uh, one of my favorite miracles of Jesus was when he healed the deaf and dumb man. Yeah. In Mark's you, gospel. You brought me up in front of everybody to use me as a prop That's for that right, sermon. I did. Yeah. I did. So that miracle. You stuck your fingers in my ears. It was really weird. That's right. Will, I would encourage you to go back and read that, that miracle because um, Jesus, obviously, all he has to do to heal somebody is say the word. Maybe even just think it and he can. Mm-hmm perform the miracle he doesn't have to do anything beyond that but he gets to the decapolis and um this group of people are bringing to him a man who cannot hear and cannot speak so you can imagine what's going on emotionally in this guy is that he can't hear what's going on they can't tell him this is what we're doing this is where we're taking you and he cannot speak in protest yeah and so he's got to be stressed out and anxious about what's going on. But nevertheless, they bring him to Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus took him to the side, took him to the side. 
got him away from all the hustle and bustle. He sticks his fingers in his ears. He spits on the ground, touches the man's tongue, and then looks up to heaven and sighs. And it, I, I think it's so easy to miss the fact that Jesus is communicating to that man. Mm-hmm. He's communicating in a way that he can understand. He touches his ears to say, I'm going to do something about your ears. He spits on the ground and then touches his tongue to say, I'm going to fix your inability to speak. Now, for, gonna, now for the record, Bradley did not touch my tongue. I did not touch your tongue. Did not touch your tongue. That would have been and then he, then he looks up to heaven and sighs deeply, I think, to communicate that this what's about to happen is coming from above. It's coming from right. God. And then he heals the man. And so um, I think Jesus made a significant effort to speak that man's language. Yeah. And so I think we should... You know, this is Pentecost Sunday that's coming up when we're recording this. And a big part of Pentecost Sunday is speaking in tongues. There was They spoke as the Spirit gave utterance. And I know people get weirded out about that. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think that was primarily for the benefit of the people in the upper room, not the outside onlookers. Because I think what, what God was doing there was saying, I'm going to empower you to communicate beyond your natural ability. Uh, I think that's the essence of what's going on there. I mean, right. if you, you imagine yourself being in that upper room and you know that Jesus has said, you're going to be clothed with power from on high, that what does that even mean? What is that going to look like? Well, I think supernatural speech would indicate that this really is going to be for every tribe, tongue, and nation, and that you are going to go beyond what you think your natural abilities are by the power of the Spirit to communicate and to uh, make Christ known. Um, right. I think that's the essence of what's going on there. So all that to say, I think, yes, make every effort you can. Good stuff. Uh, I guess we'll leave it there then. We don't really have any other Inquisition questions. At least that made it on here. I answered some of them on the post itself because it was pretty quick answers, uh, especially gear-related stuff. But follow us and comment on Facebook and Instagram. You can subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Make sure you leave a five-star review, and you can support the show at anchor.fm. You can donate money and help us improve, and you can pledge to donate $10 a month for a year and get your choice of the Piper Drive version 2 with Fuzz or Pink Trouble Booster. Make sure you email me with your shipping address when you do. Thanks for listening.